Welcome to Heart of a Shepherd, a podcast from Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, Wisconsin. Now, here's Trinity's Rick Adams, Angela Ekstrin, and Pastor Carl Leyenbauer. Welcome back, everybody. Rick Adams here in the podcast room, welcoming you to the Heart of a Shepherd podcast. I'm here with our senior pastor, Carl Leyenbauer. Hi, Rick. And Angela Axman. Hello, Rick. It's great to be here with both of you, and thank you all for joining us. Today we're starting the next chapter in Luke, Luke chapter 7. We have been looking at the teachings of Jesus. Last time we were in the Beatitudes and had some uh, interesting conversations about uh, God's expectations for what it looks like to live a life that truly imitates him. And today, in chapter 7, we're going to uh, be confronted with uh, or be shown the story of uh, Jesus uh, healing a servant of a centurion. This is going to be, a, I think, an interesting text for us today. Yeah, a couple of miracles here that are very, uh, very striking. And yeah, Jesus is going to defy expectations, uh, take it to a whole other level here. So let's read these uh, verses. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the crowd, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Wow, two incredible miracles here, back to back. And in Luke, I think we can get the chronology correct here. One, the the widow's son raised is in verse eleven starts with the word "soon afterwards." So we we get the chronology there. But let's let's start out talking about the centurion and his servant. Um, if anybody, as you were reading along at home 
you come across this text or this verse, verse five, the man, this man deserves to have you do this. <laughs> when I read that, caught my attention like, yeah something doesn't sound right well I, I love it because they say he's worthy and yeah. he says he's not worthy. i'm not worthy yeah. and so he's got this right understanding of his relationship uh to to jesus and to god and and i mean jesus says it not even in israel have i found such faith and it's evident in that and it's evident in just his understanding of the extent to which jesus is lord yeah as we were closing out that last podcast yes. we talked about what it means that jesus is lord and this man gets it. He gets you're the one that not just I should obey, but all creation must obey. Yeah. And that's incredible. And it really does speak to who is the author and perfecter of our faith. It's not us. It comes from outside of us. Mm-hmm. And this centurion could have incredible faith. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the context for this. First of all, Jesus is in Capernaum. And as I'm sure was the case with every town and village throughout Israel occupied by the Roman Empire. So there are going to be military outposts and Roman soldiers everywhere. And this centurion, that's a title, as the name would imply, uh, who's in charge of a hundred soldiers underneath him. That's the term centurion, right? And he's highly thought of in the community because he seems to be a pretty good guy. He helped build the synagogue there, right? Mm -hmm. And it just makes your mind wonder about what life in the first century was like for Jews under Roman authority. I'm sure that there were examples of harshness and and abuse that took place. But then there also probably were plenty of examples of uh, kindness and and good government. Mm -hmm. And what a blessing that is. Yeah. Yeah, the centurion, that that he built the synagogue... Could mean financially he contributed significantly, or it could just mean he had the soldiers do yeah. it because he's got these men under his yeah. command and they're not fighting a war right now. So, And as Jews, they have a high regard for him, Yeah, which is unusual, but it's it's kind of cool to see yeah. that. There, there's kind of this unique category in the New Testament of like God-fearers who are Gentiles who have not become Jewish, which would require circumcision, yeah. but who fear the God of Israel. And mm-hmm. so they're trying to live in obedience to a lot of the laws and to understand this Jewish faith, and uh, I guess kind of on their way into Judaism, maybe. But in any case, they're respected, and they show up a number of times yeah. in, in these New Testament accounts. And as Jesus is approaching, he sent, the centurion sends out a contingent of friends or representatives to kind of meet Jesus there. And he's already saying, no, 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 you don't. You, I, I'm not worthy to have you mm-hmm. come under my roof. Maybe he's a little too aware of some of the rules that Jews had about being in yeah. the homes of Gentiles and such. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's, that's very likely Jesus in the background. Have, Jesus would not have had any problem with that. Well, I don't know if he would have. He might have avoided it just for the sake of not creating an unnecessary yes. scandal. Yeah. I don't know. But in any case, there's no. It doesn't come to to a head because he's he just performs the miracle without even setting foot in there. Well, and I, I find that fascinating that the centurion has the faith and the it's it's he's got enough imagination in his mind to reason out that if Jesus is God, and he is, then he certainly could do, he could perform this miracle in any way that he wanted. Yeah. And you don't even need to be physically present right. in order to make this happen. Yeah. And that's what Jesus marvels at. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's just dawning on me here. So first, the centurion asks the, uh, he sent to him elders of the Jews Mm -hmm. to kind of plead his case. Would Mm -hmm. you come and try and heal? And then when he does come and try to heal, then he sends a different bunch of friends out and says, oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Um, Yeah, I think he wants Jesus there to heal, but he's, I don't think he's saying, you don't have to actually physically come in my house. You can do this remotely. <laughs> you can work from you can work from home. Jesus. And so is his when when he says uh, or has his friends say Lord do not trouble yourself. Is that the same Lord that we've been talking about um that has the word that has such meaning? Um yeah, see I mean, what I'm saying? It, yeah, I is mean, that his acknowledgement that he does think Jesus is who he says he is? Uh, well, nobody nobody at this point really understands the fullness of God in human form or anything along those lines. We get by the end of this text we got that idea that a great prophet has arisen among us. And that's probably kind of where he is, but it's certainly a term of respect. Lord is tough because it can mean anywhere from like the Lord who reigns over me with his, you know, by by right of government to just it's kind of a way of saying sir. And then it can also it's also the way you would translate the Old Testament Yahweh into Lord, yeah. and so that you'd have it goes from the name of God all the way down to just a sir. So it's a little bit tough to just to identify it without more context. But the way that he describes it and says, "You've got authority," that suggests he's got a higher view of what Lord means uh, when he says that. And certainly, Jesus can see into this centurion's heart, and. He's evaluating his faith and comes away finding like there's an, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. So clearly Jesus sees the genuine the genuineness of this man's faith. You can't pull one over on Jesus. No. Yeah. Well, and that he does verbalize as well that he understands kind of the hierarchy of things. Um, mm-hmm. You know where he says, "For I too am a man set under authority." And, um, yeah. which is a cool witness to the people um, around him that actually heard him say that. Yeah. I wonder how important this story was in the retelling of it in the first century church as as the gospel is making its way into Gentile mm-hmm. communities. I imagine that this centurion's story here had to have been huge for a Gentile audience because they're seeing that Christ has come and acts on behalf of both Jew and Gentile alike. He shows no favoritism. You know, a week or so ago, we were kind of trying to understand how can the Pharisees be so hard-hearted? And I'm sure that some of it has to do with the fact that Jesus, he'll do miracles for Gentiles. He'll preach to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are in those crowds that are getting close and trying to touch him and getting healed. And and that has to kind of stick in the craw for them. Do you remember how Jesus brought those examples up from the Old Testament when he was in the temple or in the synagogue in Nazareth and how mm. it, it was the widow of Zarephath that mm-hmm. was, that was provided for. And it was the, it was Naaman from Syria who's, who was healed of leprosy. And this happened to the Gentiles and not to the Jews. That, mm-hmm. that enraged them. 
when Jesus pointed out those examples. And yeah. so here we're getting a little bit more of that. Yeah. Although you don't see any, there's no hard feelings on part of the, the Jews in, the, in Capernaum that Jesus is this doing. This is a good this. Gentile. Yeah. <laughs> we like this Gentile. Yeah. 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 Okay. Side note, not really that important, but the, the synagogue that he had a part in building, you can still see the foundation of it in Capernaum to this day. It's pretty cool. That There's another more recent synagogue from 300, 400 years later that's actually standing, but it's on that foundation, and you can see that foundation exposed. So pretty cool. So uh, if we want to tie this to uh, the heart of a shepherd, when we think about having just supreme confidence and faith in Jesus to act on our behalf and to act in our best interests, mm-hmm. um, we we see that in the faith of the centurion, and that's yeah. a good faith for us to imitate. Yeah, I yeah wholeheartedly agree. Also, in just in that in that confidence in Jesus' authority, mm-hmm. too. I, I think sometimes we feel like, well, Jesus doesn't do these kinds of miracles anymore or almost can't do the I mean we don't we don't we never say he can't but we don't expect it you know it's always right it's always like Jesus please use the doctors and that kind of stuff and it's okay to just believe that Jesus can does and will act on behalf of his people and right. come to him with that kind of confidence uh, not not that he will it's always thy will be done but this kind of confident faith is a model for us too it Reminds me of the words of the leper when he approached Jesus and said, if, if you are willing, mm-hmm. you can make me clean. Right. And at that time, we had talked about that particular event and say that also is a, a prayer worthy of imitation because it, it reminds us of Christ's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it would be your will. Right. We don't pray for our will to be done. We pray for God's will. And, yeah. Part of the reason why that's helpful for us is in our relationship with God is that when I have this confidence that Jesus, if you are willing, you can yeah. you can cure me, it also means that when he doesn't, that that's because he has some other great purpose. And so it allows me to kind of receive hardship in life in a biblical way, like this is the Lord Almost disciplining a, me, making me more like Christ, or accomplishing something greater. Yeah, with a, a flavor of anticipation. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And this probably goes without saying, but this is it's just a great... A great example of the reason, and as uh, the, heart, the heart of a shepherd, to have your household and those you love and yourself be in God's Word, because that's where you mm-hmm. read and are reminded of yeah. all the miracles that He's done, and you forget them. No matter how many times you read them, you know you you read through again. You're like, oh, I forgot He did that, or I don't know if I've ever even read that before. But it's just so reinforcing, and um, just a good relationship builder of reminding you who he is and what he does do yeah. when it's his will. Yep. So let's pivot for now to the next half of this reading, starting at verse 11, and Jesus encounters a funeral. Mm-hmm. And when I read this text, I'm reminded of a video that I've shown in my eighth grade theology class of this particular it's a it's a portrayal of this event and it's almost a laugh out loud not because the producers wanted it to be mm-hmm. funny but because they didn't know how to properly yeah show the reaction of the people around i mean if you put yourself in this moment in history you're 
your heart is going out to this woman. She's a widow, which means her husband's gone, and now this is her only son, and he's died. He's dead, which means she's got nobody to provide for her financially from this moment on. She's looking at a life of basically begging, begging. in the streets. And so Jesus, I think, it, does it say his heart went out to her? Mm-hmm. Right? He saw, yeah, verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Now, so far we can look at this and say, okay, I can identify with that. I've been to funerals, they're very sad, and your heart does go out. And then you start to see the tension and the drama ramping up a little bit. In verse 14, he touches the coffin. Everybody stands still. Young man, I say to you, get up. And that's when, in the video, everybody is just kind of like, oh, and their hands <laughs> get held together. And it's, they're kind of like in this worshipful pose. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, that could not have been the way it happened. People would have been fainting. They would have been screaming. Because that's what I probably would have done if I was yeah. there. You're well, saying, it says fear. See, fear, though. yeah. But, but I guess in, in this particular case, the video just was like, no, you didn't yeah. show the human emotion anywhere close to what it actually would have been. But you think about what this, this was more than just raising this young man to life. This was Jesus giving this woman her, her life, life back. back again. Yeah. <laughs> and um, at least temporarily, right? Because mm-hmm. obviously... Life went on from that point. Yeah. 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 There's, I agree with everything you say that, that this would be, I was trying to picture myself at, you know, like doing a funeral and then Jesus stops it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the, what, how would we react if all of a sudden the person's coming out of the casket? Uh, we'd all be, we'd be in disbelief. We'd be terrified. Yeah. We'd, we'd just be in awe. It would be this incredible mixture of emotion. I don't know that we can even say with any kind of accuracy what we would do uh-uh. because we we would never have experienced it, nor will we ever experience anything like yeah. that. I've already been at funerals that, I mean, obviously this didn't happen, but just where <laughs> things happen, the way, just the way the funeral was conducted that was totally out of my realm that just, <laughs> just <laughs> kind of shakes. You don't know what to do with it. So, yeah. Then in the verse 16, the second half of that, it says, they, their, their words were, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. Mm-hmm. And the commentary I was reading said that in the back of their mind, they might have been thinking of Elijah. Mm-hmm. As Elijah raised this woman's son to life, it, it was more than just saying, young man, get up it was he stretched himself out over the boy's body and i can't remember yeah it doesn't seem to be working he's got to try it multiple times yeah he sent he tries sending the staff first and that doesn't work (laughs) took a lot of work it did yeah yeah and which is which underscores the point that this is not just a prophet exactly yeah (laughs) yeah but at this point that's all they know of jesus they haven't gotten to that priest and king portion of his office yet yeah. And that's part of why at the beginning of the podcast I said Jesus is kind of up in the ante here because in the first miracle we see him do the impossible. He does a healing without even being in the room and that shows his authority. And now he demonstrates his authority doing a miracle that nobody even believes is possible. Yeah. He's going to raise the dead. God doesn't even do that except for 
once or twice in the Old Testament. So it's, it's just now we're starting to recognize this is not just your average, your average everyday miracle working prophet. Yeah. He's something more. Now, is Nain a, a Gentile town or is that a Jewish town? Nah, it's close to Capernaum, so I'm thinking it's in Galilee and probably Jewish. Yeah. But I'm not 100% sure. And that would also be supported by the fact that the people are saying a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. Yeah. So they probably are thinking of themselves and yeah. not Gentiles when they're saying that. But. Yeah. So what would what would a person have done if they're witnessing things like this and with whatever knowledge they've gained, they are making some connections in their head as to could this be the Messiah? But most of them don't read, right? Mm -hmm. So is your only option then to go back to your rabbi and say, do you think these things are true? Or like how would there be any other method besides more witnessing more miracles to confirm in the average Jew's mind or to get Mm -hmm. them to... To like search to the know, scriptures kind of a thing? Yeah, to know, like we could go back to the Bible and say, well, mm-hmm. how does this, you know, mm-hmm. compare? But what what could they really do? I, you know, I'm not 100% sure I'm qualified to answer that question because I'm not, I'm not clear on what the education was. They had a lot more scripture memorized than we ever would have. And so they're even though they can't read, they've got a lot stored away that they can resort to and can discuss. So that's helpful. But I, the primary thing is just keep following Jesus around. Yeah. See what he does next. So it's following following grows and yeah, grows. I think that's probably the primary method of investigating this is just seeing what he does. And and they're, they're you mean not to spoil the story, but they're getting their hopes up for this messiah and then he's going to get himself killed and that's obviously going to challenge all their conceptions about whether or not he is who they hoped that he would be he's giving uh, them clues i think because if you look at the uh for the two the one thing that connects these two stories together the two events the healing of the centurion servant and the raising of this young man to life is who jesus is helping He's helping a, a Gentile, and he's also helping a woman. Mm-hmm. Two categories of individuals who in the first century were not all that important in the pecking order of society. And Jesus is communicating clearly, I have come for everybody. This, I'm, I don't pay attention to roles that are defined by humans, you know, self impose rules and rules about this. I'm here for everybody, and um, anybody can come to me. So I find that to be almost like a little bit of a foreshadowing of what's going to be coming Jesus' way from the, in the blowback from those who are looking for something other than what he's bringing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of foreshadowing, and sometimes he tells them plainly. Yeah. But that still it still doesn't compute because... Yeah. A dying Messiah makes no sense. That's that's straight foolishness. Fortunately, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom yeah. and will accomplish his purpose. There's a sentence in there I want to underline uh, with Heart of a Shepherd in mind uh, where Jesus, he raises this man 
And it says in verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. And just that, that sentence I think is, is full of significance. Uh, Jesus doesn't just raise him back up and then say, now go independently about your life and be happy. He gave him to his mother. And that's, we, we all have callings like that. We all have as a son or as a, as a brother or as a daughter or, you know, in all those different relationships where God is sending you into the lives of people because he wants you to, to be his instrument. He wants you to be, to bring love and to bring care and concern and compassion and, and, and to point people to Jesus. And so, uh, yeah, the, the work of the church is not just church work. The work of the church is to obey Jesus where he's put you, which means at your job, in your home, in your relationships, in your family. And so significant, Jesus raises him up and that doesn't say, now go tell everybody your story and change the world. He gave him to his mother. Yeah. Wow. Great point. And a, um, perhaps the the point that we should leave you all with as we reflect on these texts and apply them to our lives and to our roles in our own Christian households. Uh, it is certainly our prayer that... Um, you're being nourished by these podcasts, and we um, are grateful that you are taking the time to be with us. And we also are hoping to see you in worship this weekend. We're grateful for the opportunity to be a part of that faith community. And so on behalf of Senior Pastor Carl Leyenbauer and Angela Axman, this is Rick Adams, um, wishing you a, a good rest of your day, a rest of your week, and uh, we'll see you back here next time in the Heart of a Shepherd podcast. <laughs>